The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Addressing and giving commands to age groups of people, uh, category by category. And the first group that he dealt with were the older men. And he told them, here's how older godly men should be characterized. And he summarized that. And then he talked about the older godly women in the churches and what should be their priorities as far as their behavior and virtues one of which was discipling younger Christian women. And then he talked specifically to the younger Christian women about what their priority should be as Christians to grow in, in their walk with Christ. And then after addressing the younger women, he addressed young men. And that's what we talked about last week, what the priorities of a young Christian man should be in pursuing those. And now Paul's going to his last category or demographic of people, and that's where we are today. And you can look there. That's Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 last category of people. So far, in the first four categories, those were age groups. And pretty much everybody in the room here fell into one of those specific four categories of an age group, unless you were a much younger child. Um, But this last category, the fifth category that Paul addresses is unique and distinct in that it's not an age group of a demographic. It's kind of a, what is your social status? So it makes it unique. So And it's very likely that several in the first four categories also fell into the last category, category number five. And this was the category of slaves, also called servants. Some translations say bond slaves. Slaves or servants, appropriate word for the Greek word used. So let's go ahead and look at this category of people that Paul addresses in the church and then see how we might uh, understand it and then see if there's any application for our life in, in the world today. Verse 9, after addressing the young men and their priorities, he says, urge bond slaves, or really command bond slaves. And what he means is Christian bond slaves, or Christian slaves and servants in your community and in your churches. If in your local churches there are those who are slaves or servants or bond slaves, they need to heed the following and make these a priority as, as Christians in their situation, in their social status. So urge the bond slaves or command them to be subject to their own masters in everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. So this is a command to slaves or to servants. The New American Standard says bond slave. Just, just means slave, servant. Now today, 2,000 years later, in the American culture, away from the Roman culture, away from the Middle Eastern culture, that huge time gap, there's a historical chasm between what Paul was talking about in his day regarding slavery and how we understand it today. Technically, we don't have uh, social, political slavery in America today. There is slavery going on in other countries, though, around the world. Slavery has been going on since the fall of Adam and Eve, virtually, because of sin. It's just where is it cropping up lately. But 2,000 years ago in the Roman uh, culture, slavery abounded. It was the norm. Uh, There were thousands and even millions of slaves in the entire Roman Empire. They were everywhere. And it was not uncommon for a slave to hear the gospel somehow, and they believed in the gospel, and then they became a Christian, became a believer. 
yet their status still social, socially, politically, economically was one of a slave or a servant. They had a master. Um, but that was slavery under the Roman Empire. Uh, and when we think about slavery, we can't look at Titus chapter 2 and just myopically squeeze it into our own limited understanding of slavery because if you're an American and you've seen the movie series Roots uh, that was done in the 70s, which was about a little historical snapshot of uh, some elements of slavery here in America where blacks, African Americans were taken as slaves. And so there's a story of one family's life, uh, and that's the whole story of Roots. And so those of you who have seen it, you probably remember Kunta Kinte and O.J. Simpson and all that stuff. Um, that imagery of slavery doesn't exactly correspond to the kind of slavery necessarily that was going on in Paul's day in the Roman Empire. There are some huge differences. As a matter of fact, just here's some general categories of different kinds of slavery uh, off the top. We're not going to go into slavery exhaustively. That's for another day and another sermon like what the Bible says about slavery, which I haven't done yet. But there was Jewish slavery in the Old Testament. That is clear. When God was talking to Moses in the Mosaic Law, uh, there was an allowance for a kind of slavery or servitude, but God clearly delineated the guidelines for that. And that kind of slavery was very different than the slavery we saw in Roots or what went on in American history. Because in the Old Testament, under the Mosaic Law, slaves, they had rights. They were protected by the Mosaic Law. Uh, they couldn't just be spontaneously murdered or killed. That was a capital crime, an offense to do that. Uh, God considered slaves, under the Mosaic Law, human beings made in the image of God, precious to God the Creator, and even eligible for salvation in the coming Christ. So it was a very different uh, economy understanding of just what a human being was under the Mosaic Covenant. So that was Jewish slavery, which was very different than Roman pagan slavery in Paul's day that reigned supreme throughout the Roman Empire. And that, uh, ran, that kind of slavery ran the gamut from one end to the other, from uh, abusing your slaves, killing your slaves, uh, demeaning them and not even treating them or valuing them as human beings made in the image of God, all the way to the other end of the spectrum where some in the Roman Empire had good masters who loved their slaves, provided for them, gave them a lot of autonomy, freedom, and rights uh, on a leash, if you will, but treated them like fellow humans and even had inheritance rights. So it was across the spectrum in Paul's day in terms of how slaves were treated. Um, and then you had slavery in American history. Maybe you've studied or pretty much those slaves weren't considered full human beings, necessarily made in the image of God, so that's very different than what we see in the Old Testament. Uh, modern slavery around the world today in several countries. Uh, and then there's two other kinds of slavery that the Bible talks about. Uh, one is spiritual slavery. That's the main kind of slavery actually addressed in, by Jesus in the New Testament. Spiritual slavery. And then there's also uh, slavery in Christ. So as we read this, urge slaves, urge bond servants to be subject to their own masters. Now, some of you may be thinking here, and I've had people say this in the past on these passages, wow, this isn't relevant to us. We don't have slavery in America. We don't have slaves. We aren't slaves. And I'm thinking, no, actually, we are slaves. Every single person in this room this morning is a slave, whether you realize it or not. You are a slave. I am a slave. You have a master. I have a master. By the way, in, in the English text, it says uh, slaves... So be subject to your own master. And the Greek word for master is despotes, where we get the word despot. 
uh, kind of the one who has supreme authority over another. That's the word used here. Every single one of us is a slave and every single one of us has a despot reigning over us with rightful authority. So the question is, how are you a slave and who's your master? And uh, Jesus made it clear in John uh, chapter 8. I just want to read one verse there where he's talking to the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he's having a public debate and they're challenging him and challenging him as his authority and they're calling him names and they called him demon possessed and uh, they said he didn't even know who his daddy was and just all these uh, demeaning things trying to deface Christ publicly and Jesus is talking back with them speaking truth and it's getting pretty hot and heavy in this public debate and discussion which turns into a, an argument and Jesus says to his critics who are hostile to him in John 8, 34, he accuses them of being slaves. He says, you guys are enslaved. If you just believe in me, you would be free and liberated. And they said, hey, we don't, we're not in slavery to anybody. And then Jesus had to correct them. No, you're slaves and you don't even realize it. Uh, verse 34, he said, everyone who commits sin is a, si- a slave to sin. And if you believe in Jesus, know the truth, then the truth will set you free. And you, when you become a Christian, you are liberated from the slavery of sin. And when you become a Christian, you actually become a new kind of slave. You become a slave to Christ, a servant of Christ. He is called Lord, which means Master. When you become a Christian, Jesus is now your Master. And you are a slave to Him. So, I am a slave. I am a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. I used, before I became a Christian, I was a slave to sin. Sin was my master. And even Jesus goes on to say that if you're not a Christian, Satan is your master. And most unbelievers don't even realize that. But it, nonetheless, it's still a reality. So I go back to Titus. Just so you know, everybody here is a slave. The question is, who are you a slave to? Who is your master? So you need to figure it out. Are you a slave to sin or are you a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ? Then socially, politically, and economically, uh, that's primarily what Paul's talking about here is these slaves who literally have physical masters in their day. Uh, this command was uh, they were to be subject to their masters. And I want to I broke it up into uh, four points I want to make here regarding in Paul's day. If you were a Christian slave, servant, bond slave, and you had a master who ruled over you, whether that master was a Christian or not, whether he was good or not, it didn't matter. The command still applies. So let's go ahead and look at that. If you're a Christian slave, uh, four things to keep in mind. And by the way, every commentator that I read without exception says, well, there are principles of application for all Christians today. Because the, the bottom line issue here is tending to the hierarchy of authority and submission. In Paul's day, the master had authority. The slave was to be in submission. And today, every single one of us still lives in under the hierarchy of authority and submission because that's how God has designed human society. Every single one of us has somebody in authority over us. As a matter of fact, if you start writing down on a list all the authorities over you in your life, you'd probably come up with a very long list. And none of us are exempt from the authority of the government, the laws under which we live, the Constitution. If you go to a church, it's the authority of the local church. If you're a Christian, it's the authority of God's Word. The Bible, it's the, whole, the authority of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. It's the authority of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. 
in your home, there's authority structure. If you play a sport, there's an authority structure. The referee is an authority. The rules of the game are an authority. At your job, there are authorities. If you have a job, you've got many authorities in your life, from the CEO, the owner, to your direct supervisor, the boss. Just There's authority all over the place. This, the speed limit, that is your authority. If you're in school, the principal, the teacher, every teacher there, the parents, they are all authorities over the students. You can't escape authority because that's the way God has designed human society. And that's at the very heart and soul of what this passage is. This is if you're a Christian and you're a slave, you need to be submissive to the authority in your life, specifically in the context if you have a master over you. And one of the ways that this directly can apply in terms of principle today is for those of us who have a job in the workplace. So those principles, so maybe you're not a slave at work, maybe, but some of you probably would say you are. Um, the principles apply directly to the workplace for those of you that are employed and you have a boss and you're getting an income right now. So we're going to look at this from two perspectives. The historical context that Paul is addressing and then we will glean the applicable, universal, timeless principles that remain true and apply that to the workplace. So those of you that actually currently have a job, uh, we need to pay special attention at the end when it comes to those principles. But let's go ahead and look at the immediate context of what Paul's talking about for these slaves Oh, and probably the most interesting thing that kind of pops out for people as they read this for the first time, and unbelievers when they read the Bible, it says, urge slaves to obey their masters. And a lot of people wonder why. Well, slavery is inherently evil. It's an evil institution. It's oppressive to humanity. It is not of God. So why in the world when the Bible, God, Jesus, Paul, the apostles had the chance, why didn't they just say... Uh, banish slavery altogether. Masters, uh, give freedom to all of your slaves and give it up. Because slavery is inherently evil. Well, the Bible never does that. So repeatedly, Paul keeps saying the same thing. Colossians, Timothy, Titus, Ephesians, Philemon. Every time he deals with slavery issue, he says, slaves, submit to your masters. So he doesn't just categorically dismiss on the authority of God the institution of slavery. Because the institution in and of itself is not inherently evil. All You know what it is? It's just simply a, a hierarchy of an authority structure. That's all. The question is, what is the master like? Is he sinful, wicked, abusive? That's going to determine the nature of the relationship in that hierarchy that we call slavery. If the master is a born-again, spirit-filled, God-fearing, person-loving master, that's going to change the entire nature and relationship of the servant-slave-master relationship. And that's why Paul and God are addressing the heart issue, the real issue, not the superficial strictures and structures of humanity. So he's getting it to the heart, and that's really what matters. Let's go ahead and look at this. Uh, some points we can glean from this. And point number one is the binding demand expected of servants, in particular Christian servants or Christian slaves. Uh, the binding demand or the binding imperative, the binding command was not an option and that was simply a submissive life. A servant or slave needed to be submissive to their master, to their Lord, to their despot. Urge bond slaves, literally command bond slaves. Command Christian slaves to be submissive or to be subject King James says, obedient to their own masters. 
to the one that owns you, the one that is over you, the one that employs you, the one that oversees you, the one that even gives you uh, food and remuneration for the work that you do, whether it's money or a livelihood or a roof over your house, the one that is in control of you. Your master. So it's just one main command. Be submissive, submit to, and obey your master. That's the command. That is the demand. That's God's expectation. What if he's a lousy master? What if he's abusive? Doesn't matter. What if he's unfair and inconsistent and incompetent? It doesn't matter. At least not in this passage. Priority number one for the Christian is to be submissive. In actions and in attitudes, they have to go together. And they go together in this passage. Uh, to be submissive. By the way, the word here, there are different words and synonyms used for submissive in the New Testament. The one here that Paul uses is a military term. And military is known for its very clearly delineated, outlined, tight uh, hierarchy of authority and power and structure. Uh, our daughter's kind of in quasi-military right now in ROTC and she's learned the hierarchy. And if there's a problem or a conflict or whatever... And I hear about, well, boy, let me go talk to that guy. Well, Dad, you can't do that. This is the military. Okay, then you go talk to that guy. Well, you can't do that. There's a proper hierarchy. And I can't go to this person. So she's got the hierarchy down. And she honors it and submits to it. And that's the way it is in the military. Otherwise, whoosh, you're not in the military anymore. And that is the word that Paul uses here. So get in line. Uh, submit. Follow orders. I, I, sir, is the idea. So when your master tells you something, you do it. So if you translate those principles into our life, if your boss tells you to do something, you do it. When we're talking on the job, and it's appropriate, and has to do with your work, your boss tells you something, you do it. You submit with the right actions. They have the proper authority over you. You work at Wendy's, and you're a cashier, or you're a burger flipper and your supervisor tells you to flip faster yes ma'am sir i will try that's what it means so the demand is to be submissive and notice it says in everything and that's in everything in respect to the arena of authority they have over you that is legitimate Obey them, submit to them, really, in the Lord. I do want to look at Colossians 3.22, because it does add a balance there, a beautiful balance. Look at Colossians 3.22. Paul, similar command, talking about Christians who are slaves and who have masters. Uh, you know, some Christians, some slaves would try to run away from their masters. That was wrong. Sneak away, whatever. Kill their master. And that happened in the New Testament where a slave became a Christian and then they ran away from their master and Paul found out about it and he said, oh, that's okay, you're a Christian, God hates slavery anyway, keep running. He actually told the slave to go back to your master. Submit and obey. And then uh, Colossians 3.22, here's what Paul says as he's dealing with demographics of people. Slaves, Colossians 3.22, slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external or superficial service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily for your Master, for your Lord, as for the Lord, rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, even though you have a human Master. So that's the Christian ethic about slavery and being a slave. Obey, submit with the right actions, the right attitude. So the demand is that Christians be submissive in all of their life. So let's go on to number two, uh, the next issue that Paul addresses here regarding servants. 
And that's the personal devotion expected of servants. So the, the, the demand emphasizes the actions. You submit, you do what they tell you to do. Now it's the attitude that needs to be joined with that. The personal devotion expected of servants, a pleasing demeanor, a good attitude. If you've ever been a boss or a supervisor, uh, there's nothing worse hardly than having to oversee someone or an employee that's got a lousy, rotten, stinking, complaining, resistant attitude. It's just hard, isn't it? Very unsettling. Christians shouldn't be like that. Christian servants and slaves shouldn't be like that. Christians in the workplace shouldn't be like that. Uh, the personal devotion expected of servants is they have a pleasing demeanor. Paul says, uh, urge slaves to be subjective, subject or submissive to their masters and in everything to be well-pleasing. This is the positive thing we're supposed to do, to be well-pleasing. Uh, that word for well-pleasing is used throughout the New Testament in two ways. We are to be well-pleasing to other people, serving them with their best interest in mind. And also, many times it's used with reference to God, pleasing God, doing everything to please God, no matter what's going on in our life, whether God is looking or not, whether well, God's always looking, whether another human is looking or not, do all things that are well-pleasing to God. And that's just a general attitude, demeanor, mindset, worldview. And that comes from the inside. That's a heart issue. And this is to be coupled with the actions. So we have a submissive actions coupled with a pleasing demeanor and godly attitude as we work for our masters and for us as we work for our boss. And again, whether the boss is a Christian or not, and whether the boss is fair or not, consistent or not, uh, competent or not, fair or not in your mind, doesn't matter. Do things to please your boss, legitimately so. With the Christian mindset that really, I am the one, I am really serving Christ by serving my human leader. Because God, the Father, and Jesus are the ones that put every single leader in place. No one has assumed any kind of authority apart from God putting that person in place. So whether you have a good boss or a lousy boss, God put that boss in that place at your job. God did. And when you are well-pleasing and submissive to that boss, you're actually well-pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father as a Christian. So that needs to be our demeanor. A pleasing, submissive demeanor with a great attitude. Always remembering 1 Corinthians uh, 1031 that whatever you do whether you eat or drink or work for a lousy boss do it all for the glory of God so let's go on to number three and that's the specific details expected of servants and that's just simply I said integrity in all things now the details okay we need to have a demean a demeanor that's pleasing uh, we need to do it to God's glory what does that look like and Paul addresses three probably of the most uh, common issues that come up in the workplace or at least in his day with servants having a hard time getting along with their masters. And actually, every single one of these three applies to our situation today in the workplace. So if you have a boss and you're an employee, this is for you, this is for me. The specific details of how we as godly Christians, servants, slaves, and even today as employees and servants need to serve our masters or those in positions of authority over us. Uh, Paul delineates or mentions three specific details. Two of them are negative, and then one is positive. The first one he says is, okay, so if you're a slave, servant, bond servant for us, uh, an employee, don't be argumentative. Part of having integrity in the workplace is not being argumentative. 
uh, and the Greek word that Paul uses is anti-lego. Lego is to speak. Anti is against. Do not speak against your boss. And it's used in a couple of different ways. Literally, don't talk back to your boss. Don't argue with the boss. You can also don't speak against. Don't talk about your boss the wrong way behind their back. Do not badmouth your boss to other people. That's horrible. That is sinful. That is wrong. And I've had some lousy bosses in my day. And it's hard, isn't it? Zip the lip and wow. Boy, I need to honor Christ. I can't say anything. God is in control. But I know God's will clearly revealed is that I do not speak against my boss. The amazing privilege we have today, many of us, that Paul's slaves didn't have in their day, is I don't like my boss. I'm getting a new job. Start filling out that application. Yeah. And many people have that prerogative, but some people don't. But in the meantime, if you're a Christian, part of this integrity in the details is not talking back or arguing back. Again, it's just, um, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Maybe you have an opportunity to appeal in your workplace, which is always legitimate. Taking every legal recourse that you have that is legitimate and God-honoring. I should say that the only time that a Christian doesn't submit to uh, their boss is when their boss asks them to do something unbiblical. That, that is clear in Scripture. If they're trying to force you to do something unbiblical, then you can appeal to a higher authority. That's God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have to say, no, it can't do that. But other than that, if it's a gray area issue, if it's a preference issue, if it's just something you don't like, too bad. We have to submit. And we can't be argumentative. So words. So we've got to have integrity in the workplace uh, in the details. And it's in the area of words, not being argumentative. And the other are in our actions and attitudes. After he says not being argumentative, he says, um, okay, submit to your masters. Don't be argumentative. And then verse 10, he says, also, if you're an employee and working regularly for someone in authority, you shouldn't be pilfering. Pilfering. Some people are confused by what that means. They think, I think it kind of has to do with stealing. Yeah, it does. Pilfering. It's a very specific word. If you don't know what pilfering means, maybe the King James will help you out. It says, do not be purloining. Isn't that helpful? Purloining. If that doesn't help you, then another translation says, don't be peculating. That's even more helpful. Don't be peculating, purloining, or pilfering. All it means, pilfering means to steal little by little, secretly, a little here, a little, a dollar out of your mom's purse when she's not looking, and then 50 cents out of the, a week later, and then another 75 cents, and then she doesn't even know you've been pilfering. Pilfering is just taking a little at a time when you know the boss or the authority isn't around, and you've got a little latitude and a little freedom, and, uh, and you're abusing that freedom you have in the workplace, and you're actually stealing from your boss. And it, maybe it's not stealing material things or money, maybe it's stealing their time. Because you're on the clock for eight hours. You punched in, you punched out or whatever it is and you're using your, their the work computer for personal business and you know you're not supposed to. You're playing video games and you're actually supposed to be working and being productive for the company. This is all pilfering. Stealing their time, their resources, uh, whatever it is. Their money. Doing it little by little, secretly, behind their back. Paul knows this goes on because this is sinful human nature. This is universal. Humans have not changed. Christians should not do that. Christians should not steal for their employer, take advantage or presume on their employer, uh, using all the perks and privileges that's in an illegitimate manner. This should have no place in a Christian's life. 
Christians should be the best workers. Christians should be the best employees, shouldn't they? In every area. With the highest of integrity, knowing it is Christ that I serve. He is my boss. So these are part of the details. Don't argue with your boss. Don't pilfer and steal from your boss or your company. And then uh, the last thing he says is a positive one. He says, uh, coupled or balancing the negatives, is you need to be showing all good faith as an employee or showing all good fidelity, all good faith. Literally, uh, that word means being a faithful employee. What does that mean? Faithful, trustworthy, reliable. It's like that one unique employee that the boss has that the boss can actually trust and leave the workplace and know so-and-so is in charge and they're kind of the under manager and I can trust them. That is trustworthy because you can't trust everybody. But as a Christian that honors God in the workplace, we need to be faithful, trustworthy, reliable, dependable. And again, Christians should be the best employees in the workplace. So those are the specific details having all integrity in the workplace. Let's go on to number four as Paul wraps it up. Being good slaves, being good employees. And that's the long-term desire expected of servants. What is the long-term desire? Well, witness for Christ. Witness for Christ. Being a a God-honoring employee in the workplace for a Christian means that your testimony is on the line, number one. So the world is watching you. Your employer is watching you. But most of all, Jesus Christ is watching you. And you want to glorify God in everything. You want to glorify God in being the best worker you can possibly be. And you also want to be a good witness to those around you, to your employer and the customers and everybody else that's involved as they are watching your life. I mean, think about it. In your job, you're usually working 40-plus hours a week. That's where you spend most of your week. And it's inevitable that people are going to get to know you for who you really are. Those idiosyncrasies and the quirks of your personality, they're going to come out. They're going to see your lifestyle, your habits, your ethics. It's going to come out. They're going to see it. You're going to be a witness. The question is, what kind of witness are you? It will become clear in the workplace. And if you're a Christian, your witness needs to be one that extols Christ, glorifies Christ, is consistent with godly behavior in all manner. And God will use that in a very specific way in the hearts of the people around you, including unbelievers. Say your boss is unsaved. Say your boss is not a Christian. He knows you're a Christian. You're a lousy employee. You're an inconsistent employee. You're a flaky employee. Why in the world are you a dishonest employee compromising it? Why would this pagan boss want your religion called Christianity? Uh, He ain't going to want it. He's going to see it as hypocritical. But if you're a godly, consistent, spiritual Christian in the workplace and you're working around other unbelievers, your faith, the the supernatural peace of heart that you have, God can use that to make that attractive to the unbeliever. They're going to be attracted by your lifestyle. It's like, wow, you are different. What is it about you? I want what you have. we got a baptism we're about to do, and that's in their testimony. They were not saved in college, and they saw all these weird people around them that were actually had very attractive lifestyles because they had this supernatural peace, this love for God and this love for each other that she desired and she wanted it and she adorned it and it was attracted to her and her question, what is it? And it was knowing Jesus Christ. And God used that to soften her, woo her and bring her into the kingdom. It's awesome. And God can do that. So our witness is on the line. 
in the workplace. And Paul gets specific at the end of verse 10. He says, don't be a thief. Don't be stealing. Rather, be faithful on a regular basis in order that for the purpose of... That's what it means. That the byproduct will be that they will adorn the doctrine of God. Adorn is cosmeto, where we get cosmetics. What is that? Cosmetics has to do with women taking a lot of stuff and making their face and putting their face in order. So it's beautifying yourself. Accessorizing and beautifying. That's what cosmetics means. That's the word here. By our lifestyle, our behavior, our heart, our words, our uh, actions is a way of beautifying the Christian life and the gospel for unbelievers as they watch. That's what adorn means in this verse. We are living witnesses. Man, if you're a godly servant, a submissive servant with integrity, a, a, a godly employee, then you're going to make your Christian life attractive to others who are watching. And very specifically, you will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. The gospel will be appealing to some people. It will repel others with hardened hearts. But those with softened hearts, it's going to attract. So you are a living testimony to others around you. The long-term desire expected of all of us is that we witness for Christ no matter the condition in which we are in. So now I want to close with this by wrapping it up. Of these very, Just a reminder of these very practical principles. So what I want you to do, if you have a job right now and you have a boss, think of your boss. Who he is, who she is. Um, are they a good boss or bad boss? Doesn't matter. They are your boss. That's the authority God has put in your life right now. So think about your boss and then think of, and think of your job. You could be thinking, oh, I hate my job. Oh, I love, very rarely somebody says, oh, I love my job. Or my job is drudgery. We, we all understand that. But in light of that, let me close with these principles. Think about your boss and your job and then as being a Christian, submit to your boss in actions and attitudes starting today, tomorrow, this week. Submit. Also, don't talk bad to your boss. Don't talk back to your boss. Also, don't talk bad about your boss to other people. Also, be loyal and work hard for your boss. Make them a better boss. Serve to make their company excel. Serve to make them excel. Seek to serve them. Again, doing this, knowing that it's really Jesus you serve and not that human boss. Seek to please your boss. Here's one. Pray for your boss. Pray for their salvation. Pray that they would have wisdom. Pray that they would be more fair if they need to be. Pray that God would bring a new boss if necessary. Pray whatever is legitimate according to God's will. Pray for a new job if you have to. But keep that attitude in check. And remember, your testimony is on the line. And then two more. Be content with your job. Well, that's hard. Sometimes. Be content with your job and be thankful for your income. There are people right now who don't have work. They've been looking for work. They are doing without. They're waiting on God. And then there's others of us. We got a job and we're getting income. Praise God. And be praying for your fellow brethren who need work and income. So lots to pray about and a lot of practical application to implement in our own life. And with that, let's go to the Father and pray to Him. And we need His help to do this for the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak that's what jesus said and that's true in all of our lives so father we do thank you for our time together and the opportunity 
uh, to look to your word, uh, to see how we can glorify you specifically in this, with this idea of the principle you've laid down of authority and submission. God, for those of us in authority, help us to be godly leaders, not abusing power, not abusing authority, but leading as Christ would lead as a servant, a servant leader. God, those of us in submission to authority, remind us of these very specific words we've heard this morning over and over and over again with the Spirit of God so that we will be submissive in actions and in attitudes all for Your glory. And we, we pray that You would be glorified in it all and also that as a result, the Gospel would go out of our great and glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All for Your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.